is just a number, right? It's just a number. It doesn't, doesn't actually mean anything. What it means is it took 12, approximately 12 years for the whiskey to achieve this profile. Mm. But what if I can achieve the same profile in 10 years, right? And those two years that I don't have millions and millions of liters sitting in inventory, but I can generate cash from not having two years worth of whiskey sitting in my warehouse. I mean, that's, that's 20 million right there. Hey guys, welcome to Wine, Whiskey and Weed Show. This is your host, Sid Patel. I'm here with Shahzad Hussain. He's a COO of Cannabis Street. I'll have Shahzad, you know, uh, introduce uh, himself to the community. Shahzad, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Sid. It's a pleasure to be on. Uh, yeah, I'm Shahzad Hussain. Everyone calls me Shahz. Uh, now I'm COO, Chief Operating Officer at Cannabis Tree. Uh, been working at Cannabis Tree for about seven years now. Came through, you know, started off as Vice President of Product Development and Innovation and sort of over the last few years have taken over this responsibility of basically running the whole operation side of the business. Um, before that, I was uh, for about 15 years at Diageo, where I took on various roles within the, op- within the you know, more the manufacturing and R&D side of, op- of, the, of the business. But product development, innovation, launching products, bringing new products to market, you know, that's sort of where I built my skill set and um, operations management as well. And that sort of gave me the platform to to launch my career into the cannabis industry and and the rest, as they say, is history. So that was uh, seven years ago. And during that time, um, you know, we we built a company and a bunch of brands and um, from scratch. And, and that was really the, the fun and challenging aspect of and what enticed me into making that leap was yes. the, uh, the opportunity to, to build something from ground up, from, from absolutely zero to, to something um, and, you know, to test yourself and see whether that's something you can even do. So yeah, that, that's that's me in a nutshell. Um, Fantastic. I think I think you said it very humbly, but what impressed me was, you know, uh, I think you are just to bring context to the people. You know, this is mainly a drink show as well, right? Beer. That's our community as well. So you worked yeah. at Diageo, I think, for almost twelve years. You know, uh, leading a lot of their product development, especially in the whiskey category, I believe, right? Lots uh, and brown spirits, yeah. Yep, and and uh, I think at one point you you had a lot of organic uh, growth within that roles, and then you were just leading you know a large part of product development uh, cycle there. So, uh, what were you exactly you know responsible for in Diageo? If you may elaborate. Yeah, so started out you know in in on the bench, right, doing actual physical lab work, product development, creating products, and. I was very much interested in the brown spirit side of the business, and that's whiskeys, rum, those types of products. Um, and, and so once once you get a good understanding of how on the ground level that works, I had the opportunity to kind of take a step up into managing a portfolio of, of projects uh, where you, know, you have different aspects within the supply chain kind of all having to come together. Uh, whether it's a cost savings initiative or it's sort of an innovation launch to get the product out into the market, um, understand end to end how to bring that to life, 
how to bring that across the finish line, um, you know, up st stakeholder management, as well as you can need to get into the weeds to understand, you know, are these the right financials? Is this the right timing? You know, is this the right way to, to move this product through the process? Mm -hmm. um, once you get that skill set, and it's, you know, it's not rocket science, so you do it enough times, you understand, you know, what all the levers you can pull. Um, uh, at that point, um, you know, we were basically, had, I was given the opportunity to, to run the department and that, that became, you know, beyond just, um, you know, cost savings initiative or, or an innovation, it became an entire platform. And, um, but, but my, my, um, my heart was always on the R and D side. My heart was in sort of the. Uh, you know, like by nature, you are a scientist. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like I was a chemical engineer. I always excelled mm. at science and math. And, and so uh, at that time, you know, timing is everything uh, that they were putting together uh, a little more longer term focused uh, platform in science and technology. And, you know, I, I proposed to the leadership there, I said, why don't we put something together that's more focused on brown spirits as a, as a, as a sort of functional uh, silo um, on, you know, distillation, maturation, fermentation, blending. Uh, why don't we create a department for science and technology just around that? And, you know, so this is a great idea. And, you know, they took that and, and so they said, okay, well, you run it. Um, like, great. So, um, I did that for a little over a year and sort of put the processes in place, put the team in place, develop the pipeline. Mm. You know, we set out for as a goal to, to, to deliver $20 million in, in bottom line to the company over five years. And so this is the result. You know, you've taken um, the, the, um, the risk of creating this department. You know, we should have some results to show for it. Uh, so sort of uh, created that uh you know, goal for ourselves. And, and then we set about trying to, to achieve that goal in various ways, you know, whether it's gaining efficiencies and fermentation, putting a whole project mm. in a program. So let, let, let's, let's just pause there because I think that's yeah. a very good point. When you think about product development, you just think of actual product, right? But, but I'm sure in a company like Diageo, it's process, it's cost savings, it's optimizing the product, it's extending the product. It's, it's many more things that I even don't know. Right. So let's, elaborate you know if, if yeah. what is how was it defined there and what all were part of your responsibility there yeah so at Diageo at that time now this is you know seven years seven years ago uh, probably evolved since then but uh th that that entire area what we call brand change right okay. it, it was essentially as you mentioned there was what we call within that renovation and renovation meant you have an existing line of products and you're going to tweak those products around to optimize certain certain elements of how that product performs, whether it's functionally during production mm -hmm. or as, as a consumer would interact with it. So, for example, mm -hmm. a renovation project could be I'm running a bottle down the line and that bottle would run more efficiently down the line if I change the dimension of the bottle a little bit and I could get. 8% faster throughput down the line. That would be a renovation project. And that's that's actually a really big project to do. It sounds really simple to say, but you have to have a lot of really smart minds go address that problem, get the dimensions right, and make sure it moves down the line. So Another, for example, over there, yeah. I'm, 
I'm, I'm just going to pause a few points, right? So because a question comes up, a good one, which can add value. Uh, and uh, uh, an example can be, uh, how do we bottle more, you know, bottles in, in this hour, right? Exactly. And, got it. So we'll, you know, carry on, but we'll dive into like, how do you do it as well? Yeah. So, um, another example, so that, that's more of a process-facing renovation project. Another example of a renovation project could be, hey, uh, we need to change the label on a certain bottle product uh, because the aesthetics on the label just aren't working right now. And we need to make certain elements of the label pop in a different way. So let's change the label across mm. the whole brand. Now, that's not like a real fun project to do. And there's probably not a cost savings involved in doing so. Yeah. Most of the time, the marketing guys will add a little cost to it. Um, but, but I mean, you have to manage that change. Yeah. And you have to make sure they all come out at the same time and you have to manage expectation through, you know, when certain skews within that brand are launching and you have to, so that's not a small so that, That's more of a top-down decision which has been made and then you just got to roll it out. So the focus is really on implementing and making sure it's getting exactly. done sort of thing. Got it. Exactly. So that, that could be uh, another type of renovation project. And over right. there, like you're talking huge scales here, right? Like imagine Johnny That's Walker right. saying change something. So how do you yeah. do it globally? Uh, the, the way that it was organized is you, 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 um, you know, North America ran more or less as its own function, as okay. its own market. And so, you know, we work in the context of North America, but you had connectivity to the whiskey uh, global teams that are sitting in in the UK and a lot of interaction between the two teams. So they would be aware or, you know, they would have to sign off on it. Uh, but they also recognize that, you know, locally in the US, the decisions that needed to be made, as long as they were aligned with the brand expectations, they were fine implementing those changes. Mm -hmm. Of course, not, not just any change, they had to sign off on it. And once they signed off on it, they would say, okay, US as this solution in the UK doesn't need to implement that. And they're okay with that. You don't have to do it across the globe. Sometimes you did. Sometimes, for example, if there was a change, I say, okay, we're going to do this across the globe. And then you, you know, every, every market had its own implementation plan. Mm. So one of the things that I read in your, uh, you know, uh, bio was that there was a project where you, you had to, let's say, come up with uh, savings of $20 million of cost of goods, right? Uh, that sort of scales. And uh, were you given like an SOP already that, okay, if you do this, uh, you will save money or you yourself literally had had to think about ideas out of the box and, you know, walk us over a couple of your victories that you actually contributed and that savings happened and how that whole process works when, a, yeah. let's say when, when management tells you, okay, let's, let's save money this quarter and think, let's yeah. think. Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, and the answer to, 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 you know, is there a playbook or do you have to create the playbook? Uh, it's, it's sort of a hybrid between the two. Mm -hmm. And to some extent, um, you know, you, you pull in all your, all your subject matter. Ex so it's, it, start, it starts with a brainstorming session, right? It starts okay. with pulling in all the subject matter experts in your vicinity, in your view, within your area. And you say, hey, guys, let's get together. You're in procurement. You know, what, what can you come up with? You know, what, what, what negotiating can you do with your suppliers? Or okay. what ideas do you have from a purchasing point of view that's going to reduce costs? All right. Hey, guys, you're in um, liquid 
formulation or blending area, what ideas do you have that can reduce costs? And hey, guys, you're in the bottling side of it, manufacturing side of it. You know, what 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 can you do? And uh, and then in the warehousing side, and then in the supply mm. chain side. So you you pull all your folks together and say, hey, what 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 are what is this giant list of ideas we have, right? Mm. Mm. Then you take that list and you say, okay, well, from this list, what what can we do now, and how much does that deliver? What what is going to take a little longer to deliver, but we can do very easily as well. What is very difficult to achieve, but the size of prize is just enormous. Mm. And, and what is very difficult to achieve and doesn't have much of a size of price. You sort of start prioritizing your ideas and you come up with a pipeline. And mm. the most nice. important thing about the pipeline is to sort of balance that pipeline between things you can achieve right here and now versus, mm. which may not even have the biggest size of price, but, you know, are still worth going after. And sitting in the future saying, hey, if we, if we invest now behind these, this idea mm. and, and, and stay at it, the, the potential size or price at the end is massive and we should go after those opportunities. And so you balance, you balance the portfolio. Um, and, you know, I have a quote that I, I love um, that I just want to share with you. It's from um, this, this guy named Bansi. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of him, but, but basically what he says, firms that excel at innovation management mm. simultaneously invest at three levels of ambition, carefully managing and balancing among them, which is core, adjacent, and transformational. Mm. So you have, to, you have to basically play in all three True. areas. You got to be delivering something right now. You got to understand what is medium term and long term Mm. and work on all three simultaneously. True. And if you can do that, then you're delivering a pipeline. And that's what Diageo did better than anybody else that I've I've seen. They did Mm. it brilliant. They were able to get, whether it was cost savings or whether it was uh, innovation, and Diageo's innovation engine is just unbelievable. Um, they're able to, to, to deliver right here, right now, whether it's cost savings or what consumers are looking for today. Mm. But they're also able to invest in what they envision the future to look like mm. and, and meet that demand even before the consumer is there. Uh, do you agree that uh, this product development, which may fall into the whole category of innovation and in- improvements, uh, comes with like a end of the day one person's vision like ceo or the founder who is top down has to have that sort of personality or you think that it's also driven by people like you where you're pushing and you truly believe you know sometimes the the technicians believe in what they're making and they have so much convincing power uh that i am confident that it's going to save money give me that machine you know uh, yeah. how, how how that convincing is playing on in that sort of you know room sure. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I've seen it work, work, work both ways, but the way I've seen it work the best is, is the latter, where you know, the, the folks that are in the day-to-day mm-hmm. are generally the ones that understand what, what they need to do a better job. And our job as, as you know, coaches, mentors, leaders, bosses, is to take that input and always mm-hmm. ask ourselves, hey, what can I do to make this person's job easier today, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of that involves the ideas, taking their ideas and 
sometimes you just they they're onto something uh, and recognizing when they're onto something but but now the job is to to package that idea in a way mm-hmm. that you can sell it up the line you can't do it without the true. approval of someone true and true. that's where you know running the financial models or putting together a business case or 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 however your leadership wants you to package that idea that's that's key and being able to communicate up and say hey we should invest here because mm-hmm. there's a payback on this because it'll grow our it'll grow our revenue because it will gain market share whatever the strategic reason for doing this is we have to be able to package that now diage mm-hmm. did a great job and most cpgs do a good job because they have a structured stage gate process to do that so at stage 0 the new idea comes in and there are certain metrics that you have to sort of calculate and put together against that idea mm-hmm. and you know and then you take that and you put it up at a gate 1 and they would say diageo and there's a certain group of stakeholders that look at that and say mm-hmm. yeah this 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 meets our internal hurdles for what should be a project within the organization and and at the end of the day we will assign resources from our team to go work on this project understood and and you know at gate at gate 1 you know you're sort of still 10 15% error in everything you're doing because it's still a concept it's still mm. an idea but now you've got the buyout mm. to to move forward and you move to a gate 2 and a gate 3 and a gate 4 and a gate 5 and at each gate there's sort of a little more scrutiny a little more accuracy that you need sometimes as other things that you have to check off the list to say yeah you know we've done the the regulatory risk mitigation plan and here it is you know at various stages of the project mm. until that you know diage was a gate 5 you get to the gate 5 and gate 5 is go do it execute mm. it get it done and start counting the the benefits of the project um so I brought a lot of that thinking to the world of cannabis as well. I have one last question on the alcohol yeah. side, right? For the, yeah. for our amazing distillers out there. Uh yeah. just on that point which is like saving let's say 20 million dollars overall, right? Uh, or something yeah. like, any savings, right? Uh yeah. what what exactly five or six things that you did which can which people can just take as notes and apply yeah. back in their distilleries like literally look here and there is there is savings in that particular area sure i mean you know not, fermentation efficiency is really important right really trying to understand the key metrics on your ferment if you over ferment you're losing money if you under ferment you're not generating enough alcohol so you know getting getting that fermentation piece right dialing that in there's a lot of there's a lot of low hanging fruit there to go after right on the distillation side for the most part it's not that it's it is not much room in that part of the operation but just having generally good operational parameters is is key the most that you can save money on is in the maturation side of the business um for for several reasons number one is your casks as they're maturing are losing 8 9% in some parts in Scotland slightly less in in the US more um in the Caribbean even more 8 9% per year in terms of proof gallons of whiskey basically just evaporating into the atmosphere right oh. and that's if you add all that up especially if you look at a scotch for example that's aged for 12 years you know 8 8% 
compounded year after year after year. That's a lot of wisdom. That's yeah, just that's true. It's compounding every year, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so figuring out how to minimize that, mm. figuring out how to prevent what we call allage, um, a loss, angel, share, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Got it. Um, that's, that's a critical piece of it. And at Diageo, you know, that's one of the big programs I had put in place is nice. a program around figuring out how to reduce the, the um, knowledge, knowledge losses. Mm. And there's various things you can do from how you reconfigure a warehouse to manage airflow around the warehouse to just how you stack your barrels to, and, you know, we were, the Scotch guys have been, you know, they, they've been around for what hundreds of years. They've done various things. So we were lucky. We were able to get a lot of learnings from ad hoc things the Scotch guys had done and then sort of say, okay, let's, let's put a program together focused on North America. Hmm. Um, you know, that, that, that's a huge area. The, I mean, the, the other obvious piece, which, which you know, um, I think there's a lot of new technology and, and, and good thinking around is, is age reduction. Now, you know, we look mm-hmm. at age reduction as sort of, hey, you know, don't take my 12-year-old. You know, there's a yeah, we, we think it's cheap product. But, like it, but it, wine, 12 is just a number, right? It's just a number. It doesn't, doesn't actually mean anything. What it means is it took 12, approximately 12 years for the whiskey to achieve this profile. Mm. But what if I can achieve the same profile in 10 years, right? And those two years that I don't have millions and millions of liters sitting in inventory, that I can generate cash from not having two years worth of whiskey sitting in my warehouse. I mean, that's that's 20 mm. million right there, right? Mm-hmm. So those are big, big programs that, that, you know, we should look at. And there's some very interesting companies right now that are looking at this. They have the technology to rapid age. And we did a lot of work around that. Uh, a lot of it is proprietary that, you know, I signed documents and I can't talk about. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but that's, you know, very, that's the big, big size of price. Mm. Now, in, in, in North America, at least, finally, on the back end of it all, um, you pay... So there's two other areas that are low hand, that, that I would go look at. One is in the blending side of it. Now, after your whiskey is aged and you're dumped it, you're dumping it, you know, you have a team of amazing blenders, right? Whether it's the master distiller and his team or, or a blending quality team sort of puts together the profiles. And, you know, you're trying to achieve a certain profile. You know, why is you know, Crown Royal as an example? It tastes the same year after year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because there's a team of just amazing blenders that are working with all the marks that are coming from the, the warehouses and sort of adjusting the formulas, you know, on an annual basis, if you will, not even annual, less than annual mm-hmm. to achieve that profile. They have a lot of institutional knowledge around how to blend this stuff because they've been doing it for 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. And they understand, okay, you know, if I use this mark, which is a slightly lower cost of input, well, eight years ago versus this mark, and I can offset it with this mark, I can actually achieve a formula that's lower cost and keep mm-hmm. the same taste profile. So you have to really leverage your blenders because they have an integral part of how you drive that business forward. And they're also mm-hmm. your quality check. So they, won't, they will not let you go too far in any direction because uh, then it affects the quality of the product. Got it. In the US, the other piece is taxes. So 
excise taxes in the U.S. are astronomical. Right? At that mm. time, if I'm not mistaken, you're paying $13.50 a proof gallon mm. on taxes. So finding ways to minimize your tax burden, there are some, you know, there's, there's some wiggle room in all of that um, through clever formulation or even order of mixing and operations. There's some ability to get tax credits um, mm-hmm. if you if you can prove certain uh, things were done. Maximize that. There's no reason not to. You can mm-hmm. do that without affecting the quality of your product. You just have to be smart in how you put things together. Mm-hmm. Um, and take advantage of it. And it's two and a half percent. Um, so that's, it's, that adds up over time. True, true. And um, Amazing. You, put, you, put, you put that whole across the patch program together as I just went over. Mm-hmm. Now you have a portfolio. You have a portfolio of projects and you have a pipeline over the next three to five years of things that you're constantly, you know, you're pushing that agenda down. And, you know, some, some work, some don't work. And that's okay. That's what you go in knowing that not everything is going to work. Yeah. Uh, the key is to understand very quickly what's working and what's not working. Got the it. things that's not working, you stop it straight away and divert those resources. Mm. And that's how you do it. And that's, you know, Diageo does that brilliantly. Fantastic. So I think, I mean, that's really big processes and big numbers, right? You've played with Diageo and then, then you move to completely an adventure in uh, cannabis. Uh, a couple yeah. of questions there. One is, you know, uh, what are the similarities in cannabis, uh, I mean, you know, development and Diageo? And then and then the second would be, you know, uh, like uh, how like so small and versus big. How did you yeah. yourself, uh, you know, adjusted that this is more dynamic and less resources? And that's obviously more structure and more resources. You know, at the end of the day, in my mind, cannabis is... The, the, the similarity piece around it, right? At the end of the day, cannabis is just another raw material, right? And it's a raw material that you have to learn how to use, but that raw material can be incorporated into any matrix that a consumer would want, just like an alcohol beverage. An alcohol beverage is one form of how a raw material, which is corn, or barley or malt or whatever is used to uh, to to make it a consumer product. So you know you mm-hmm. you ferment the corn and you distill it and you mature it and then you put it in a whiskey, right? This is the same thing. It's an agricultural product. You harvest the cannabis, you extract mm-hmm. it, you infuse it, you put it in a product, and you give it to a consumer. So in that sense, it's a lot of parallels on how you create a beverage or any CPG product to mm-hmm. how you create a cannabis infused product. Mm-hmm. And, and that's sort of, you know, my mindset was into going into this was that's all, all the things that I have learned through my undergrad and through process engineering and everything I learned at Diageo, I should be able to take those principles, those learnings and, and transfer it into a new set of disciplines, but, but still very much, similar in in philosophy to to the old one um and that's you know that's that was my mindset mm-hmm. i actually didn't even realize it until someone told me that mm-hmm. um and that was the guy that hired me his name was andrew rashkow and he owned uh, a, a beverage development r&d company and he's owned it for many many years it's called mm-hmm. imbibe very successful beverage r&d company 
they do uh, sort of behind the scenes R&D and beverage development mm. for many, many companies. Mm. And, you know, they, they, a lot of companies on the shelf that you see when you go to the grocery store, they don't have their own development. They don't have their own R&D. They're just brands. Yeah. And I Some think sometimes, you know, you don't want on paper that it, it comes out that the edge you failed at this and that, and they're just trying, but nothing's happening. Right. So they use, maybe I'm sure this companies to test more aggressive and risk-taking things. Exactly. Um, so Imbibe is not the brand itself. Imbibe just does the R&D. Got it, got it, got it. And, and so, you know, I knew about this company and uh, always from, from afar, I had some friends that worked there and I was always fascinated by what they did. My beverage background, this was a beverage mm-hmm. formulation company. The, this gentleman contacted me and said, hey, you know, um, I'm thinking about starting an R&D company in, in the cannabis space. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, what do, you, what do you want from me? Like, I'm a, I'm a whiskey guy. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, think about it. You know, it's sort of very similar in how you approach it. And, you know, it got my mind thinking. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I'd never thought of it. Were, were you the cannabis user at that time? Or do you, are you still or? Yeah, just recreational, you know, not not a very high tolerance but sort of. I've always thing. thought that you you have to be like a user sort of even to think of going in cannabis because it's so different and weird. It is. It is. Yeah. I mean, look, I recreationally enjoy cannabis for, for a very long time. And it's you, you had an idea a little bit, right? Before yeah. you went into this. Got it. Cool. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I understood what it was and, and you <laughs> yeah. know, the effects and why people would like it. And, uh, you know, I had, had a social circle of friends that understood. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, I, get, I got it. I understood why. Right. And I also understood this was the next big thing coming. Mm. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I'd wondered myself on, on the side, like, how do I get into this? Like, you mm. know, I, but, but it never occurred to me that, that any of my skill sets would translate until this gentleman talked to me about it. And I was like, yeah, you know, that makes mm. a lot of sense. And he said, look, I'm starting this company. Um, and you know, um, why don't you, why don't you come on board? And, you know, at that point I'd been at Diageo for about 15 years, the Seagram's wow. and Diageo combined, right? 15 years. And, um, I was like, why not? Why not? You know, I'd finished my MBA in 2007. I was like, how do I actually just leverage all the skills I have? Right. And let's just, let's just take that step. And so I did. It was in and how many years now in Canada? Uh, you did Seven this? Seven years. I'm, I'm, like an, I'm like an old man in cannabis. Wow. Yeah. So uh, and they say cannabis years is like dog years. So I'm more like yeah. 49. <laughs> wow, man. That's like seven years there and like 15 years in alcohol. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I pick my vices, right? <laughs> you look, you look um, young. I mean, nice. <laughs> Thank you. So um, uh, I think on, on that, when you started, because you were at like great at the peak of your career and nice, everything was comfortable. And I'm sure there is still more upside in a company like the Edge because it's so huge, right? Uh, what were like, you know, what were the initial failures? Let, let, let me say that way, where you were like, oh, you know, like you were getting frustrated. What, what, what were those kind of things? Because I'm sure a lot of other uh, entrepreneurs out there in cannabis are at a stage which you've already seen. So you know, how, 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 what were the suffocating points? In cannabis? Oh, wow. You know, I think one of the first things, first of all, when I came to cannabis, like there was, there was no real plan. I had to create the plan, right? Got and, it. So it was just you two basically deciding to start this. 
it was yeah, just a blank slate of paper. What are we going to do? Wow. How are we going to get there? Wow. What are the products we're going to create? So you start from this nice. point where you're like, normally I'm being told what to do in some mm. ways. I have stakeholders and leaders and, and, you know, there's a structured program around me and I have to work within that program to this wild world where like, there's nothing and it's all, you know, you free to create. So that initially that freedom was scary mm. because you're like, well, I don't know what to do here. And, 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 and what, what I would say is even the folks that I've hired that came from CPG, you know, what I tell them is you actually know how to do this. Mm. Just because you've never done it before doesn't mean you don't know how to do it. Mm. Just trust yourself, trust your instincts. And we'll guide, we will figure it out together. And that's been a great, great way of teaching, you know, giving people the confidence. And that's true. The folks that I hire have come from CPG, come from alcohol, that instinctually they know all these things. They just. So I think that, that's a good segue to the product development questions as well. So when you decided your first product line for this business, right, what were the questions you asked to yourself? Or you did some market uh, gap analysis, I guess, you know, walk us over. How did you come with your first couple of products just connecting back to the previous question i'll connect the two you know you asked the frustrations and the failures um i, I mean i think our first product was not a success mm. right um you're going to experience more failures than you are going to experience successes when you come into a world like this because you're, you're still trying to understand the consumer they're still mm. trying to understand um, why people purchase the way they purchase. And um, when, 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 you tr- when you're trying to create, in retrospect, I would not have created that first product the way we did. That mm. to me is a product for the future. And we created it first. And we thought, hey, if you build it, they will come. Mm. And that was not the right approach. So the first product we created was a line of tinctures and topicals uh, for the wellness consumer. And our initial premise going in was, hey, there's a massive population of people out there that have anxiety and they have mm. sleep issues and they have chronic pain and they have all the reasons why we've heard, you know, cannabis is something that can help. And I think I believe that at that time, wellness was the hot topic, right? The- exactly. And so we said, you know, this is where we want to go, you know, and, and, holistic healing and natural healing and this move away from pharmaceuticals and pills. Mm -hmm. This is the wave. This is what we want to catch. We created this awesome brand called the root of it all, which you'll appreciate. Basically it's THC, CBD, cannabinoids, but then blended with Ayurvedic herbs and spices that Mm -hmm. also have similar uh, functional properties. So for example, we created a tincture, called sleep for sleep and uh, mm-hmm. we called it stop but we called it um, sleep and it was basically uh, I think a one-to-one mixture of THC and CBD but then we infused it with chamomile lavender and valerian all in Ayurveda these are all herbs that help with relaxation and sleep mm-hmm. and we blended it all together and we went out and started doing market surveys and saying, hey, I've created this product. We built a, so we built a, an R&D lab in Denver. Mm-hmm. I staffed it with amazing, smart people, mm-hmm. product developers, engineers, et cetera, biochemists. And we said, let's create this product. And then we were going out. At one point, we were running you know, three or four 
consumer panels a day, uh, a week. That's a Sorry, lot of a investment. Month. Yeah, a yeah. month. Yeah, and and getting the feedback saying, yeah, th- this this product is actually helping people fall asleep faster. And we were running statistics on you know Pittsburgh Sleep Index and all this stuff, and uh, and you had to learn all this. Like this, you know, this is all learning on the fly. Because the big difference, the big difference was, hey, I can I can still create a product, and in alcohol bev, my main goal was to make it taste good. Hmm. Make now I have to make it taste good, but I also need to make it feel good. Hmm. The functionality has to be working, right? Exactly. That's what you're saying. Yes. How do I characterize the high? How do I characterize when the oh, yeah. onset comes? Hmm. How do I characterize what that onset feels like? How do I characterize what the experience feels like? How do I characterize if someone is falling asleep faster or not? How do I characterize what the offset looks like? How do I characterize what that person feels like when he or she wakes up in the morning? So now, in addition to does this taste good, right? As in alcohol or any kind of beverage product, now I have to ask myself, well, how did the person feel not only instantaneously, but for the next eight hours after taking mm-hmm. the product? So it's a whole different approach from a consumer point of view on how you approach product development now. And so, so on, with, with, on that, like one of the questions which even a lot of people asked it in the conference is it's so hard because everyone's different. I make it high in like half a joint and maybe you will get in one joint, right? I may get a kick in 15 minutes. You will get in 30 minutes. I may feel like shit and maybe you will feel relaxed. But yeah. how do you, like, how, what, what was your observation when you did all this? I mean, you've touched so many customers. So is this yeah. true? Like, how do you work around it? It's very variable. There's a lot of variability in it. So, I mean, the best you can do is you can minimize your variability going into the study. So okay. you can try, you can say, okay, I'm only recruiting people that have problems sleeping. So I I've, I've now have a smaller subset. I'm on, and you tell them before you come in and take your test, you know, don't need anything for, the, for, for, for six hours before you take the test. Okay, now mm-hmm. minimize what's in their system. But that's, you know, to the extent that you can do that, uh, the key thing is to have lots of data points. So mm-hmm. you can take the outliers out and you can put a statistical approach to the data you do have, at least get 30, 40 data points. And then you can run a statistics on it and say, okay, is my data set A different from data set B? Also, mm-hmm. there's a massive placebo effect, right? So you'd give someone product with nothing in it mm-hmm. and they'd come back saying, oh yeah, I got high after 20 minutes. So like, okay, well, 30% of the, our data shows this placebo effect. So, so, so you have to take that out and then you're left with actual data. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, some, sometimes you can get good, good inferences from that data. And sometimes I think, I think uh, where I'm understanding is that in cannabis testing and, you know, uh, analysis data and the batch and who you are testing, that is super important. Like to, uh, to figure out your testing uh, thing process is like the most because that can just completely change the whole thesis of what you've developed. Yeah, 100%. Now that is if you are trying to achieve a specific outcome, right? If you're just mm. trying to get high and your, mm. your product is like, okay, you're going to get high. I don't care how you get high. I don't Understood. care what, Understood. doesn't matter. Then you're just trying to get people high and, and that's okay too. That's that's a different type of 
product you're creating. So the first type of product we created was the whatever we were talking about, very specific, and we nailed it. I mean, we got mm-hmm. results that we were like, yes, and there's a lot mm-hmm. of R&D that went into this. We launched this product and we're like, this is it. This is going to kill it. And product bombs, right? It's like, no, no one's buying it. Why? Is it the Why? pricing, the positioning? And what is it? It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. people just want to get high early. Like, come on, that can't be the case, right? Like, I thought, I thought the whole reason I came into this industry was to help. I came into the industry because I felt I'd created alcohol beverage products for so long that you know don't necessarily have the best health benefits in the long term. And here I could take my skill set and mm. make products that could actually help people. And mm. what we found is those people are just not going into the stores and the dispensaries and buying these products. Mm. So what do you do? You pivot and you pivot and you pivot. And so, you know, at the end of the day, what we realize is just like any business, you have to have a portfolio of products. Mm. You have to have a product that is for the here and now that meets the consumer's needs today, the products that people are going into the stores to buy today as it keeps your lights on. You have to have a product for tomorrow as well. Mm. And at the end of the day, to me, that's what product development really is. And that's what I, you know, the quote I gave you, but you know, it's, it's, the, it's the Wayne Gretzky quote as well, right? You try to move to where the puck is going to be. Mm. You skate to where the puck is going to be. So yeah, you have to have a product development pipeline that- So how do you analyze where the, where the buck is going, right? How do you, what kind of questions are you asking your company? What kind of research are you collecting? So you know, this is where the next six months, this is where, you know, where the magic is gonna happen. There, the, good, the good news is there are plenty of analogies out there Mm-hmm. from the world that exists already that you can look at and say, okay, this is the consumer behavior that, that is going to evolve. And, and, and beverage, as an example, which I think you're in such the right spot at the right time, um, it, it is one of those areas. How mm-hmm. are people going to evolve their consumption? Um, I think, you know, so we know people are moving away from smoking we know people are, even though flour is such a huge part of it, no, you're seeing, a, you're seeing a move towards vaping, which is arguably safer than smoking, better than smoking, but still you're taking something into your lung. Mm. Um, into the ingestion route, sublingual, uh, um, and then basically edibles and beverages. And as you see more and more people coming into this industry, you're starting to see more people move into these edibles and beverage area of the can of curious coming in and saying, yeah, I don't mind taking a little gummy tonight, mm-hmm. or uh, I'll have a drink. Sure. I'll have a two milligram can beverage or our, mm-hmm. our beverage is the, the YOLO shot, which is a hundred milligrams. People are coming wow. into this and saying, yeah, we'll, we'll take, we'll take a shot of that. Um, but but where is it going to go? That's the question. And are we ready to start investing behind those those technologies? Right now, it's still it's still very much in a food and beverage type space. Got it. Right. And and to me, that's where over time, I think it's going to take five seven years before that will become the predominant form of consumption. Regulations have to open up a little bit to allow mm-hmm. consumption. And and the goal, I think, all of us can see it is that. Someday you'll be able to drink a weed product like you drink an alcohol beverage mm. product. Mm. And as long as the attributes of that product meet a consumer need, it has to come on, it has to hit you very fast. And no one wants to wait 45 minutes to an hour 
to feel the effects. Mm. It, has to, it has to taste great. It has to feel really good. And, and quite honestly, you have to come down pretty quickly because, you know, if you're out drinking or having a, to mirror that occasion, you don't want to be high for seven hours, right? Mm. So you, you want to be able to characterize that high. And, and there's ways to use technology and science to, to create that profile. And mm. that's honestly, like I think at the end of the day, what, what the big alcohol dev companies and beer companies, that's what they're trying to, to get to is how do I create a drinking experience that we are all so familiar with uh, through years of practice um, and, and sort of parallel it to this new occasion for how we consume with, with the mm. cannabis product. That, that to so- me is... Sort of where this is going. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's what big companies are working on to make it more yeah. delicious, to make it more like socially acceptable, and yeah. to not get like to have that balance where you don't like, you know, like how in, in like you, you can just go in thirty minutes and you're done. The party's over. Rather, you want to continue that for four hours if there was a party and yeah. so on. Um, exactly. One of the question I wanted to ask was, you know, because I think you you wear that business hat as well. You know, when I I had my own brands, wine brands, and you know, spiritual brand. I also have a gin brand right now, separate business, right? So uh, when I built my products, you know, sometimes there was just a business objective to it, okay? This product is going to open doors for 7-Elevens of the world. This product is going to open doors for total wine and more of the world and Bevmo's of the world. This product is for Michelin star restaurant. This is my 100% markup wine. This is my uh, you know, uh, like a 500% markup uh, whiskey. And this is my 20% volume play so that I can get paid because everyone's going to love that product, right? So you you design the whole portfolio with business objectives. Forget about, you know, you know that it's the same bloody wine at 100% markup and it's the same with 20%, but it's one is retailing at $7.99, one is at $14.99, right? So uh, how, how much of this... Uh, people are missing on, I think, because I can see a lot of entrepreneurs who doesn't use the, the product to actually do business, like open the doors and collect, you know what I mean? Like I, I believe in a, a triangle where the top is like opening doors, getting that traction, getting the reputation going that you have one product that has to make sure everyone knows about. And then you have at the bottom that 200% margin. Do you, do you design, you know, those kind of things in your mind when you're absolutely. making? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I work very closely with our leadership team who are all very smart businessmen and think exactly in the same way. And so Hmm. we have three brands right now, right? And within those brands, we have different products. But just as you said, I think a lot of of folks don't have that portfolio diversification and don't have a clear reason for being for every product in their portfolio and what they hope to accomplish with that product. So you can't have a value product and expect it to sell in a high-end dispensary. You True. can't have a premium product and put it in a dispensary that in a, in a, in a demographic area that's just how much dollars can I get from my, from my TNC. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be a very strategic channel segmented, consumer segmented way of, of, of going about your portfolio. So as an example, our Tough Mama brand, which is the one we showcased at the, the beverage we showcased at. I think that the, won some awards, right? Congrats on that. Thank you. Something it's, happened. It's, like, it's I think one growth. of the fastest growing or some, some statistics I saw, it's like second fastest growing or something. It's, it's, it's doing really well. So our infused pre-rolls, 
which, you know, basically we're taking a, a joint and infusing it with more THC. Uh, I, one hit of that's plenty for me, but there are people who will smoke the whole thing. Um, that That is, in fact, that door opener brand uh, product. Uh, so that's can, a volume play. You want to rotation? We're going to move a lot of volume. We make very good margins on it, but we're going to move a lot of volume on it. We're going to price it right. I'm going to target the consumer that, mm-hmm. that you know, with, with, with the right messaging and the right emotional attachment to the brand and say, this is it. And that, that pre-roll alone has just op- opened over 200 doors for us at this point, right? But behind that, then you say, okay, look, there's this other portfolio of products. And a lot of times people are like, oh, you guys are the same company? Like, yeah, we're the same company. We have an, ent- an entry point door opener that gets your attention because it's priced for what you want. Behind that, we have a beverage that's going to, that's really, really good. And oh, by the way, this beverage, you don't need to put it in the fridge. It's shelf stable for 12 months at room temperature, not like anything else. And you can just put it on your counter. It's like a five-hour energy. Mm. Oh, oh, and by the way, we also have these vapes that are priced to sell. And then behind that, we have our premium portfolio of products. We have this premium vape pen for your premium consumers that are walking mm. in the door that want sort of a lifestyle, just have a lifestyle need. They, you know, they're the Starbucks, not the Dunkin' Donuts. They're, they, you know, they'll drive, you know, they want something mm. better. So they don't. They'll pay a little more for, for a better product. But it, we let's, have let's say all these four products that you mentioned, right? I believe uh, that your first one is not just like door opener. It is the reputational play as well. Because yeah. of that, you are s- selling and cross-selling other three things, right? So appears to be. So you got to, you got to make sure that that is always a success, right? Like you will yes. have to pump up so much into it to make sure that one is a name. Correct, like to make a, a a loss leader or a leader or a horse product, like a main one. You know, what is the minimum margin you are able to live with? Like ten percent. Um, you know, so here it's a loaded question because it's different from state to state. Okay, right. Every state has its own value chain dynamics right now. Okay. Uh, we are in California. We, we exited Colorado and we exited Washington because we couldn't make the economics work for us. Hmm. Um, and we focus everything on California. It's another one of those pivots you take as a startup where you think, yeah, I'm going to take my product and roll it out everywhere. And you realize every state is a different volume. Hmm. Um, but, you know, speaking in California alone, the retailers take, you know, they mark it up 2.53x from what the wholesale. Prices. So they're making good margin, but they're also they over have a hard time with how their taxes work and what excise mm. taxes they pay. And you know, there's a whole tweet E. Mm. It's it's really hard on the retailers right now as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, at the end of the day, in like in California as an example, if you're if you're making any money, that's that's great. You're in a great spot. Hmm. Um, you know, margins, if you're well, at the net margin, somewhere in the 10%, that's, that's a good spot to be. Gross mm-hmm. margin, you need to be somewhere in the 50% range. Wow. Yeah. So, so much marketing. You get pretty, yeah, you got to get really, I mean, you got to get really efficient in California. You got you to gotta really understand, you know, how to source, how to produce, how to optimize your labor, how to minimize quality issues, how to you know really optimize your supply chain, uh, 
work with the right suppliers, you know, optimize your processes and at the end of the day, create a good product uh, that meets the need. You know, it's, it's, it's hardcore in California. You can get away with less of that in other states because there's a little more room to play around with the dynamics in other states aren't as brutal as they are in California right now. Cool. I think, Shajad, I mean, there is a lot we, we I mean, we are going in all the directions, but I'm, I'm liking it because it's alcohol as well. And I know that industry as well. Uh, just yeah. to sum it up, you know, let's, let's also, uh, you know, uh, summarize this in maybe five, six lessons you've learned for, you know, uh, product development process where people can, you know, avoid that mistakes and save some money by listening to you, you know, uh, which you can suggest. One, one, of, one of the lessons for me is coming from the spirits world where, the, you know, the whole idea is I'm going to, you know, creating a premium brand, premium product. It's sort of, the, you know, very buzz. Everyone wants to create a premium product, right? Um, when you're coming to the cannabis industry, the industry is still trying to figure out what's value, what's premium, what's super premium. It's not, none of that's set yet. So when you're coming from a world where, those paradigms are set, whether it's toothpaste or whether it's alcohol beverage. True. When you come into the cannabis world, just to understand that it's a moving target. And, and so, you know, when you're trying to do something premium, you have to ask yourself, premium to what? Um, and, and if the, you can't answer that question, then you, you probably are, are, are playing in the wrong, in the wrong field. Uh, that's number one. Um, and then a lot of folks that say, I'm going to create a premium cannabis line. I'm like, good luck. You know, mm-hmm. answer that question for us. Um, the se- second, second is, you know, uh, people ask me, what's your day to day like? And I say, my day, I feel like I'm trying to land a plane on a runway that keeps moving. So I have to, I'm approaching my landing and the runway has moved and I have to go back in the air and circle around and come back. And that might happen five or six times before I can actually land the plane. The, the, the challenge that I've seen, I remember now, the challenge that I've, I've talked to a lot of uh, folks in, in this industry, at least at the level that I'm at, is by the time you conceive a product and you go through the development process because it's a good product and you want to make it really well, and bring it to market, the consumer has already moved on to something else. And you're mm-hmm. sitting there going, how do I do this? How do I change this dynamic? Because it, it's gonna, it takes me six to eight months to put a product in the market. But by the time, at the six, eight months ago, this was a hot product. But now I brought it to market and it's moved on. Mm. And and the and my my advice is stop chasing those products. Stop chasing the next hot thing because you'll always be chasing. Instead, really understand where you think the market is going, and position yourself there, even if the market's not there yet. It's a mm. better bet. There's a higher chance of success there than chasing a product. It will happen when you're chasing is you'll get the product out. The consumer has moved on. A lot of people have entered that space now because they're all chasing too. It's a fight to the bottom at that point. There's less, there's no differentiation anymore. And all your assumptions on how you thought you could make money on it are gone. Mm, good point. So not only do you fail because the consumer has moved on, but your financials aren't going to work. It, it's a better bet 
to move to where you think they're going to go, even if they're not there yet. And that's what I think product development really comes down to. It's, it's, it's understanding where they're going to go. And, and, you're, and you're wrong sometimes. But I'd rather be wrong that way. Mm. Um, third is trust your instincts. You know, you're, when you're, everything you've done so far in your career with a structure around you has, has, has led you to this point. Mm. And now you're in a world where there are no rules mm. and it's you. And you have to navigate it. And it's very scary. Mm. But your instincts, you actually know the answers. You've been trained, if you've come from kind of a CPG, beverage, whiskey mm. world, you actually know the answer. You just don't know you know it. But your instincts will guide you and it'll guide you in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've told many people on my team who've come in. And, you know, I, got a, I have a good friend of mine now, also a chemical engineer and background. When he first joined the company, I said, you're in charge of quality. And he's like, I've never done quality before. Mm. And I was like, actually, you have. You mm. just don't know you have. Mm. He's like, really? I was like, yeah, just try it. And sure enough, he's like, yeah, Shaz, you're right. Like, I actually have an understanding of how to do this. I know what I just never did it before. Mm. Because in our in the CPG world, and you are exposed to all those elements, you learn mm. enough about it. You just never, you know, you may not do it. Yeah. And and now you're in a field where what you know is sufficient to move you to that next level. Mm. Amazing. So yeah, just, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta go for it, I guess. One, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, Shaz, was, you know, uh, when you're scaling products into other states, you know, you can control a lot in your own facility, but now there is a co-packer. So how do you roll out your processes? How do you implement, you know, this product development cycle there? Uh, uh, you know, your journey yeah. for that, like your, your lessons for that. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. And until, you know, until we don't have federal legalization and interstate commerce here, that's the uh, issue that any MSO or uh, multi-state, multi-state operator would be, would be dealing with um, either through their own manufacturing or through a co-packer. You know, number one is the raw materials itself, mm-hmm. right? So, um, because you can't have interstate commerce in cannabis, the cannabis I uh, use in state A has to be grown in state A. The entire and supply the chain has to be within that state, correct? Well, the cannabis supply chain. Now, bottles and you know, labels I can get from anywhere. Right. But cannabis, where the most important source in your in your product yeah. has to be sourced locally. And and you know, honestly, uh, uh, you know. Durban poison stain in, in state A, they can call it that and then call it Durban poison in state B. They're not the mm-hmm. same. They're, they're probably mm-hmm. two completely different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just happen to be called the same thing. And so we, we you know, first of all, we, we, we moved away from internally uh, referring to strains as strain names. We moved to profiles. Okay. We map the profiles and say, okay, profile A and profile. So, so we start getting consistency in our raw materials. That's probably the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, you know, in any manufacturing. So for a company like us that has some serious IP and has, uh, you know, patent pending technology around nano emulsion and antioxidation and those types of things, even in extraction, 
one of the key things you have to do is, especially if you're working with a co-packer, uh, you have to be able to protect your IP. Mm. Uh, so creating processes that black box your IP so that the co-packers don't, cannot reverse engineer that product. Oh, wow. um, that's, that's, that's another really important thing we, we have to think about. So you supply yeah. some, some part of it, which is, a, which is controlled by you, I believe. Is that how it works? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And then, you know, it's pre-mixed, it's pre-blended. Um, and and then CBD is mixed at the state level. Correct. Hmm. CBD or THC. And, and even the process is proprietary. So, you know, that's a trickier one because at the end of the day, someone has to do it. Uh, I've, you know, in the, we, we've done it where we, we've hired our own person to do it within the co-packers operation. And that's, you know, that's a negotiation. Um, other times they say, okay, we, you know, there's enough scary documents here between us that, you know, if we Con- feel contracts, a right? A lot contracts, yeah. you contract it out the wazoo. Uh, but you have to really make sure that that's all tightly, mm-hmm. you know, the formula is really important at that point. The biggest, the biggest thing is execution really, right? Because co-packers, co-packers incentive is to run as much product down their line as possible. That's how they make money. Right? They make very small margin per unit, but they have to run a lot of units. So their incentive is throughput. Hmm. Whereas you, a small brand working with them, your incentive is quality. You're like, I want to make sure my product is right every single time. And that's where the conflict happens. Hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's very tricky, especially over the last few years with COVID, where people couldn't travel. You know, normally, I would want my engineers to be at the co-packer for every run. Right to me, that's the key. It's about having the right people oversee, and the co-packers hate that because they're like, "Get out of my business." But but at the end of the day, having you you know your products better than anybody else. You know the nuances of your product. You know how to troubleshoot if something goes wrong because you've done it in the lab, you've done it in the pilot plant, you've scaled it up, you've seen all the things that can go wrong. Uh, the co-packer, there's only so much you can transfer knowledge from an SOP or from a phone call. So mm. having your people there, at least for a few weeks, months during the first phase of the startup, and then when your next batch comes, you go back there. I think that's the key thing. It's it's quality mm. control. Uh, and when we've done that, we've been successful. In fact, at one point, we just took one of our engineers and just mm-hmm. put him on the line at the co-packer and said, mm. you run this line. And, mm. you know, this guy is very well uh, established uh, person in his career. And, you know, he called me and said, Shaz, I'm like a line operator right now. And I'm like, you know, that's, that's, what, the, that's what the job takes right now, man. I don't know what mm. to tell you, but that's, what, that's, that's, you know, one of the key learnings. Especially in cannabis, what you find is, um, you know, beverage is one. Beverage is probably an exception, but you know, if you're making tinctures or topicals, or you're making um, even just joints, hmm. uh, the 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 operators that you have on the line, you know, they, these are not professionals that came from the tobacco industry or hmm. from the cosmetic industry that have made topicals before, understand how to look for flaws or defects. Those, they're they're not. They're they're, mm. they're ca- cannabis enthusiasts or in the cannabis business that love being here and want to be part of it in some way. And you have to mm. train them. You have to train them what to look for. So you can't take anything for granted. True. Right? They're very smart people that want to do well, but they have not been trained. Mm. 
And, and that's part of it. You know, you got to, you got to train them and you got to work with them and you got to bring their level up. Yeah. 